Welcome once again to Ward Church. My name is John, and I have the privilege of beginning this summer sermon series called On Location. On Location, we're, we're uh, going to be looking at living this life of faith in our current situation, in our current world. We're, we're going to get specific in certain areas of our lives, such as how to live out this faith in our neighborhoods, in our work, in our city, and, and here in our church. It's, it's going to be great, I believe. Uh, we're we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of what it looks like to really live on location. And Jesus said in Matthew 5 that, uh, that you are the, the light of the world. We are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. We, we are placed. We are placed here where we are to live a life on a location for the glory of God, to be a light that points the people around us to God. And so that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, five weeks from now. We're going to continue looking at this different aspects. I hope you join us for this series on how we live this faith on location. A moment ago, we, we listened to uh, the scripture read from John chapter one. I want to read one verse over you from that again as we, we begin. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now I have this friend who for the past three years has worked in the same office at the same desk. This desk was brand new when she began working there. And I realized a couple of weeks ago that she did not use her, the drawers in her desk. And when I asked why, she said, well, they don't really work properly. And and I was like, what do, you, what do you mean? And she said, it's hard to get them open. Uh, I put the desk together. And when I did, I must have done something wrong. And I was like, oh, okay. And so I started looking at the, the desk and I, I opened one of the drawers and inside were, were some dowels and some screws. And she said, yeah, so there were some extra pieces when I was done. And so I left them in the drawer and I realized quickly they weren't extra pieces. They were pieces that she just simply did not use. And so I, I said, did, did, you use, did you follow the instructions? And she said, for the most part. You know, the desk looked right. It looked good just at a glance, but it didn't function properly. It didn't function properly, not because there was something wrong with the desk itself, but because she did not follow the instructions and put it together correctly. I think that is how some of us have built our faith, right? We look okay at a glance. We look okay. We, we have learned to, to play the part and look the part. But when it gets down to it, our life of faith has not been built properly. We have put our faith together as we have wanted to, as we think it should go, instead of building it, instead of building it first on Jesus and then on these proper set of instructions or doctrines or 
practices. And so today, as we begin this series where we're going to be talking about living this life of faith on location in your neighborhoods, in your city, at your work, in our church, uh, before we begin that, we have to go back and look at what it means to build our lives on something correctly. And so we're, we're going to look at three things today that, that I believe will work as our, our instructions or our framework for this life of faith that we are called to live in this world around us. We're going to look first at God's mission. What was God's mission? Uh, secondly, we'll look at Jesus's method. How did he live out this, this mission? And then finally, our mandate. What does this mean for us? How do we move forward building this correctly? So first, let's look at God's mission. God's Mission. See, uh, as we begin this conversation about God's mission, we, we have to go back a, a, a little bit and give some context for his mission. See, some of us, this, this may be a refresher, but for some of us, this may be the first time you're hearing some of this. So, so we're, we're going to go back and, um, and, and get some context on where we're, where we're at. See, we read earlier in John chapter one, um, the beginning of this book, it begins by saying that God created everything, right? It says that he created everything, that everything was made through him. Nothing was made that was not made through him. And we can find that creation story where God created everything. We can find that in Genesis chapter one and two. And in those two chapters, we see God speaking into life, speaking into being these things that were not. And, and you see this process where he creates something and then he declares it was good, and he creates mankind, he creates Adam and Eve, and he places them in the middle of the garden in this beautiful creation. He made everything exactly the way he wanted and it was designed perfectly. And then in Genesis chapter three, we see the, the man and the woman, we see humanity now faced with a decision, faced with a temptation. They are now faced with this temptation to completely defy God and disobey the one command that God gave them, which was to not eat fruit from this one specific tree, but they're tempted by the snake and they begin to eat this fruit. And upon this one act, this one moment of eating that fruit, this one moment of defiance, sin and death and corruption rush into the world. So God is standing before his once beautiful, once perfect creation and now it is marred. Now it is changed. So what is he to do? St. Athanasius of Alexandria, one of the church fathers from the, the first century said this about God's response to the fall. He said, if a king constructed a house or a city and it's attacked by, uh, by bandits because of the carelessness of its inhabitants, he in no way abandons it, but avenges and saves it as his own work. And that's exactly what God set out, sets out to do is avenge and save his creation. 
And so we see him come to earth, come to the garden, and he speaks to Adam and Eve, and he brings them in, and he talks to Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he, he begins to, uh, to deal out the consequences for these actions. And then we see, then we see something that is known as the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first gospel, the first gospel. This is the first mention of the gospel in the, in the Bible. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, God says this, he says, and I will put enmity between you talking to the snake, to the serpent and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. He mentions here one day someone is going to come that is going to undo all that has been done. He is going to come and restore. So we see the mission right here in Genesis chapter three. We see the mission of God. We see his mission, which is to rescue and redeem his creation. Rescue and redeem his creation. And then you fast forward in time, just a couple years, it's uh, a while, but you fast forward in time and God himself comes as the man, Jesus. And while Jesus was here, he declares clearly that his purpose was to fulfill, fulfill the mission of God. And this is how he states what this mission is. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10, he says, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Seek and save the lost. And that's, this is, this is how John, the beloved disciple, talked about this mission of God to seek and save the lost. This is, this is what he says in John 1, 11 through 13. He said, he came to that which was his own. He came to us, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. He came to us and then gave us the right, the privilege, the ability to become his children. That, that is the mission of God. That is God's mission, the rescue and redemption of his creation, of his people, you and me. So that's the, the, the mission of God. That's God's mission. And the, now we, we look to Jesus's method. And we see here in John chapter one, verse 14, he states Jesus's mission beautifully. He says, the word became flesh. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So you remember at the beginning of this passage, it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. See, this word who, who was God, who is God, John says, became Flesh. He took on flesh. He came to this earth to dwell, to make his dwelling, to live among us. I love the way Eugene Peterson uh, translated this in the message. He says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. 
We saw the glory with our own eyes, the one of a kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. He moved into the neighborhood and revealed the father, revealed who the father really is. That is the method of Jesus. He came in, he moved into the neighborhood. He took on this flesh. God himself took on human flesh and lived among us. That's the first part of the method of Jesus was to come to us, to come to us, to live among us, to show us a better way to live. And while he was here, he met needs. He healed the sick. He, he fed the hungry. He loved the unlovable. He welcomed the outcasts. He went to the hurting and he showed them love and hope and grace. He came to be God with us, to share the burdens of our pain and our suffering and our worries and to ultimately do what you and I, what we cannot do, which is make a way for us to be with God. That is the method first to come to us. The second part of of this method was to invite those around him into, into a relationship with him. Into a relationship. There's one word that we see Jesus repeat time and time again. It's the word come. This invitation, he says, come and see, come and find rest, come and drink, come and dine. He speaks to Peter and says, come out onto the water, come into the unknown, come into the unheard of. Jesus invites those around him to experience himself and to experience the Father, to do as the, the, the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. This first invitation is to experience. So we see Jesus comes, right? He, he leaves heaven, he comes to us to live among us and then he invites us, he invites those around him to, to experience him. And then once, once we had experienced him, once those around him had experienced him, he, he offers another invitation. This invitation is into a deeper relationship with him. This time he says things like this, come and follow me. Come and take up your cross. Come and deny yourself. The second invitation is not just to experience, the second invitation is to change. It's like Jesus said, hey, you've experienced, now it's time to change. You've experienced, now it's time to change. Often when Jesus would meet a need, when he would heal somebody, when he would interact with somebody, he would first meet their need and then he would say something like this, go and sin no more. What he was saying was, hey, you've experienced, now be changed. So this is, this is Jesus's method. He came to humanity and invited them, invited you, invited me into relationship with him. Both to experience and then to change. So where does this leave us? 
So we've seen God's mission to, <clears throat> excuse me, to rescue and redeem his creation. We have seen Jesus' method that he came to us to live on location with us and invite us into his relationship. And now we see our mandate, our charge, our mandate here that we are to live on location as he did. See, after the death of, of the death and resurrection of Jesus, before he ascends into heaven, he gives one final charge. He gives a commission to his followers who were together with him. In Matthew 28, we see him say, go therefore and make disciples. Go therefore and make disciples disciples. In this charge, in this commissioning of his followers, he gives this, he gives both parts of his method. Go, be there, be with them, go to them, meet their needs, and then make disciples, the relationship. So he says, go, live with them, be with them, be near them, and invite them into a relationship, not just with you, but with God. So go and invite them into relation. That is the charge. That is the mandate that is given to us as followers of Christ to go and invite others into a relationship with ourselves and with God. And then Peter Several years after this moment where, where they are commissioned by, by Jesus, Peter, who was there, he is writing to his fellow believers, his fellow, fellow Christ followers who are now a much larger group and they are no longer together in this one area. They are spread around and he writes a letter to them to encourage them as exiles, as strangers, as a minority, as people who were peculiar to the world around them. And and in this letter, he, he begins to show us, he tells us how to, or tells them how to live out this commission in a unique way, how to live, as Jesus says, going and making disciples, living among them and inviting them into relationship. And Peter takes it a little bit seemingly different. He doesn't say go somewhere different and go somewhere new and go to the end. What he says is just go where you are. You are placed where you are on purpose. You are placed where you are for a purpose. And while you are there, you begin to make disciples. And this is, this is how he says, these are the steps to do that. Our mandate here, here from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11 and 12, he says, dear, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. This is, this is beautiful. Verse 12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. Live such good lives among the pagans. It begins with this, this term as exiles or strangers or people who are not at home, people who are on a journey, people who, who are the, the minority. You're on the fringes. You're the outcast. You are not the major. This is not your comfortable home. 
And whether we realize it or not, we as believers in our current context, in our current life in this world, we are not the majority anymore. We are not the ones who, this is our home. We are in the minority. We are exiles in our own world right now. Last year, a study showed that in America, 47% 47 of people claim to be a religious person, claim to be a follower of some religion. That means that Christianity is, those who are deeply passionate about following Jesus are much, much, much lower than that, really. We are not in the majority. We are not the ones who, this is our place. We are the exiles. We are in the minority. We are those who are strange. And Peter tells us, Peter tells us who are exiles, who are those strangers to live such good lives that the pagans, those who are around us, the people that are around us, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. We have a mandate to go and make disciples, to live among them and invite them into relationship. And now we have, this is how you do it. You live in such a way that people glorify God, that people not brag on you, but glorify God. That your life, that my life is lived in such a way that people see how great God is, how awesome God is. See, Peter goes on a couple of verses later and he says, he says that we should always be prepared to make a defense for, the, for anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. His assumption, his belief is that if we live this life on location, if we live this life that is, that is such a good life that people are drawn to it, that people see how good God is, that they will begin to ask questions. How do you live this way? How do you have joy? How do you have hope? How do you believe what you believe? How are you living the way you live? His belief is that if we live in such a way, if we live such good lives, that people will see how good God is and ask us about it. We will have those conversations. We will have the opportunities to invite people into a relationship with us and with God. Now, I don't simply mean that we live in a way that we become good people, that we are simply moral people. I mean that we so passionately love Jesus and we so desperately follow him that we are so engrossed by the love and the goodness of who God is that we have, in, we have accepted this invitation to follow him, to experience him and into this deeper relationship that causes change within us, that we are so, so consumed with who Jesus is and following him that the world around us sees that there is something different within us and they begin to ask us about it. I I do not mean that we live in such a way that people can say, oh, they are moral, but that people see how much we love Jesus. That people see how committed we are to following Jesus. That this commitment to Jesus has so changed who we are 
that the world around us wants to ask what's going on, what's happening. So today I, I, wanna, I wanna leave us with this one question. This one question, have you accepted these invitations first to experience God and then to the deeper relationship that causes change? Have you accepted these invitations to to follow and then change, be so consumed with who he is? That is the first step that we have to take as we begin to live this life That is such a good life that people see how great God is. The first thing we have to do is accept these invitations. And for us to accept these invitations, we simply have to acknowledge that we are a part of this broken world. And as a part of this broken world, we are sinful. But we've realized God's mission is to rescue and redeem even the sinful ones such as me, that Jesus's method was to come and live among us and invite us into that relationship. And we simply say, God, I want that relationship. And so we, we simply pray something like this, God, I know I am part of this broken world and I cannot fix myself. And I know that you came in flesh to rescue and redeem me and to invite me into a relationship with you. And I want to be in relationship with you. I accept this invitation to experience and I choose to follow you. And so this morning, if we have prayed this, if you have prayed this for the first time, or if you just wanna know more about what that looks like to follow Jesus, I'm gonna be down here afterwards. I would love to talk with you about what that looks like. If you're joining us online and you say that, hey, I prayed that for the first time, I I, I meant that for the first time, I felt that for the first time, or you just wanna know more about that, I, I would love for you to fill out on your connect card something saying that and someone will reach out to you and and talk with you about what that looks like to follow Jesus in this way. It's from this decision. This decision is so important because it's from this decision that the rest of our faith flows. It is from this decision that we can even begin to live this life. It is from this decision to experience and follow that we can even begin to live this life of faith. It is from the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit working within us that we can have any chance of living this life that is even remotely close to pleasing God. Without that, we fail miserably every time. But luckily we have this invitation to experience and then to follow. That is the beginning of our process, of our journey of living out this mandate, living out this mandate simply to experience God and follow him passionately so that in such a way that people see how good God is.
and they glorify him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you love us so much that you came to earth to rescue and redeem, to seek and to save, to invite us into a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would be a people so passionately in love with you that the world around us sees not how good we are, but how great you are. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen.